Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I was a mistake. I was told this every day of my childhood. Not once was I told I love you. My parents didn't even hug me. My mother didn't love me. My father didn't want me. And the only attention I received came from fists, belts, electrical cords, and hangers. Those were the good days. When I was 17, my mother was arrested for child abuse. I became an adult legally, and the California government left me to my own. I went wild. I found what I thought was love and positive attention in all the wrong places and lost myself to depression and anxiety. What led to following? I was hospitalized for attempting suicide. I'd grown up in a Wiccan home and far from God and so believed that all the horrible things that happened to me were my fault. That's what I'd known for 18 years. People had tried to talk to me about God, but my heart was unopened to receiving them. How could there be a God who wanted me? How could God or anyone else love me? One month after being released from the hospital, I met the young man who would lead me to Jesus. He was a picture of Jesus' unconditional love, something I'd never experienced. After finding Jesus, I can say that I know love, I know compassion, and I know that Jesus is the king of my life. He gave me a husband strong enough to fight the demons of depression and anxiety that torment me. Jesus took over my heart, and over time, I was able to let him into my mind. Now my husband and I laugh when I say that not being stressed and not being depressed make me nervous. I'm a work in progress, but I'm complete in Jesus. So, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, God's changing people's lives all over the place. He is. And we, we show these things. I want you to see this because it takes courage to get up and to share and to talk about what's going on in your life. And it's been so cool to see Heather's uh, uh, growth here and, and what God's doing. It's, it's really awesome. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, verse, we're going to start with verse 16. And so go ahead and turn there. And if you don't, we'll have the verse on the screen. But I, I did, we're doing something a little bit different today. As you know, there are graduations happening all over the place. And uh, high school graduations, college graduations. And so um, somebody who, and we just, we, we thought he was graduating um, now, but apparently he graduated early. He's a high school, recent high school graduate. Where'd you go to high school, by the way? Wow, okay. So what high school did you actually graduate from? Online, Primavera. Primavera online. Okay, so you're getting it done that way. Very good. Yes. So, and where are you going? Uh, by the way, this is Jake Bounds. I'm Jake. And Jake, now Jake, where are you going uh, to college? Uh, I'm going to GCU. And what are you going to study over there? Psychology. And what do you want to do with psychology? Uh, hopefully uh, get into the FBI. Help some yeah, people. that's going to be cool. So be on your best behavior. This, you don't want this guy coming after you someday. Now, but I also want to let you know that, that Jake is, um, is serving in, the, uh, in Club 45 and serving in the middle school ministry here as well. So I, I want you to see that because we got, well, how old are you, 18, 17, uh, 15, 17? Yeah. No, he's a 17-year-old guy <laughs> serving in Club 45, serving in middle school ministry, graduating from high school, going to GCU, um, getting some things done. It's exciting. But I've asked Jake to read, the, read our passage this morning. Um, and so I just want him to read that, and then he's going to lead us through this, this passage as, as we go. So if you have your Bible already, or you can see it on the screen. And Jake, take it away. Uh, we're going to start in 16, by the way. Uh, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may, be, he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Awesome. Let's give Jake a hand for reading that. Thanks, man. All right. So what is happening here so we understand this passage? As we've been talking, by the way, I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor of Compass Church. I'm so glad. Listen, you guys that come here Saturday night, you got to know, you are our only way to actually grow. Because Sunday morning, we're jam-packed. We're going to be especially jam-packed tomorrow because everyone's going to bring their mom. So it's like, it's like going to be everyone and their mother at our church. <laughs> That's pretty good. And, and, and we know that some of you guys, that you aren't here, but some of you that normally come didn't come tonight because you're bringing your mother tomorrow. In fact, I think even my own mother was supposed to be here tonight. I don't see her in the crowd because um, we're doing something afterwards tomorrow. So you guys, you guys are awesome. Thanks for being here. And here's what's happening so you understand the passage. There has been disunity in the Corinthian church, which is the letter that's being written to for quite some time. That's been caused by people worshiping personalities, basically, instead of God. And they didn't realize that on the organizational chart of Christianity, um, God is the very, very top. And then according to the passage we just read, not to mess with the Trinity or anything, but, but Jesus is like the you know the representative our our you know the, the human element that God has joined himself with God joined himself in, with us in the person of Jesus so you have Jesus and you have everybody else and the org chart at the very top is him but people kind of forgot that and they were capitalizing on worshiping other people um, basically by saying, you know, we follow this guy, we follow this guy. And the amazing thing about celebrities and the worship of celebrities is how quickly they are here and gone. And so there's a time when they're on top of the world. And when they're on top of the world, it's almost like they're invincible. Like I think about, you know, like the pop stars that were popular when I was a kid, you know, and how many of them, my kids are like, my, you know, when I play music that I used to listen to when I was my kid's age in the car, they go, Dad, what is this? This is horrible. Like I played New Edition the other day. Do you remember New Edition? Yeah, I played New Edition because one of my daughters, it was some kind of thing. I was trying to kind of like joke with her a little bit because she was going through some issue and I thought I had this New Edition song and I was playing it. And she's like, what is this? Turn this off. And I go, you don't understand. When I was your age, like this was awesome, you know? But these guys are here and they're gone all of a sudden. And so they have this power. And same thing with Christian celebrities too. There's like a, there's a power and an influence they have over the culture. And you think at the time, you think there's no way this person could ever fall by the wayside. Like they have everything. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. Let me ask you, is there anyone out there, if you think of like a, a Christian personality or a, or a friend or someone, is there anyone out there who if they were to lose their faith, 
or if they turned out to be a fraud, it would cause you to lose yours. Is there anyone out there that say, you know, that, that if they were to, if you were to find out, that if they were a Christian, and you say, you know what, this person's a Christian, and all of a sudden they turned out and said, no, I'm actually an atheist, or they got caught up in some big scandal. If that happened to them, is there anyone you could think of that if that happened to them, it would cause you to say, no, Christianity is a fraud. And see, that's a really good litmus test because our faith, our faith must go beyond just the hinging on one person or another person. We talked about this a little bit last week, but this is so important because part of building resilience, and our whole series is called Resilience, part of building resilience is certainly to learn from other people, but we can't become dependent upon them. We can't worship God by proxy. We have to be able to have our own faith, to own our own faith. So even young people, when they see hypocrisy in their parents and so they give up on God, that's a bad excuse. We have to come to the place where, we, yeah, we can have people kind of lead us to a certain extent, but we can't hold people up instead of actually holding up God as the main center of our faith. And the reason why is we're going to look in this passage tonight that you have more than you think that you do. God has given you more in your tank. You possess more as a believer in Jesus than you think that you do. And I think a lot of us feel like we're just kind of barely hanging on or do we really understand what this is about or we're not like that person or not like that person. And so if they were to fall or to fail, then what does that say about us? This is so easy for people to be disappointed in those they build up. This is especially hard, by the way, for newer Christians. So sometimes like what happens with newer Christians is the person that led them to Christ, um, you know, had all this influence on them, brought them to church and kind of gave them some basics. And what happens is this person, the new person, gets really passionate in their relationship with God. And they're like, they're, they're reading their Bible and they're following and they're like, there's, there's, their life is changing, their decisions are different. And they're like, man, I found this amazing thing. And all of a sudden they start to realize they're outpacing the person that led them to Jesus. And I've seen this in, in, in throughout over the years as a pastor, and, and they'll come up like this, like disillusion, like, wait a second, I, am, I, am I the only one that feels this passionately? Because here's this person, and, and yet I see there's still all this compromise going on in their life, and, and they're not really as excited as they once were, and that can be a tough experience. But the other thing people tend to do is they tend to divide themselves over minor points of theology that often are represented by the various people that they worship. So here at Compass, probably our biggest for us, like you say, okay, what does Compass Church stand for? And probably our biggest distinguishing characteristic was kind of another reason why I wanted Jake to read the passage is because we believe more than anything else in the authority of the Word of God. We believe that, th that, that the Bible is actually really God's word, that he divinely inspired it, that is without error in its original writings, meaning, meaning you know, people might make an error copying it. I mean, you know, like in, in somebody, anybody can take a manuscript and copy, but, but in, the, in the original manuscripts, it is without error. So the Bible you hold in your hand, you can trust that you know that what is being written here is, is divinely inspired, that is given by God. And we believe that, and it's the final authority for what we believe and then how we live. So that we are never going to compromise that. So we, that's really, really big to us. And from that then, what the Bible tells us, more than anything else, the main theme of all of Scripture is that God saves sinners. 
God saves broken, rotten, evil people. And, and if you're not, and, and if you if you if you doubt that, just just look around. You know, it's like, oh, there's some rotten people in here too. No, I'm kidding. But but truthfully, the, and all of us have been people who have been saved by God and by His grace through the person of Jesus Christ. And and so none of us have earned it. None of us have deserved it. I saw this commercial the other day. It was really, it was on Hulu or something. You probably saw it. But it was for some, um, I can't remember, but it was like, you know, you can get credit. And it was so funny because it was like they were urging you to get pre-approved online so you could go like, you know, get yourself into all kinds of debt. And then said, you deserve it. You know, (laughs) that's like the worst commercial in the world. You know, you deserve to put yourself, but we always think, you know, you deserve it. You, this is, this belongs, we don't, no, we don't, we don't deserve anything of God's grace, but he gives it to us so we can be eternally grateful to him. But see, the thing is, this is where we start. And so that's the defining characteristic for us, and you have to know that. You see, if you come from a place where you can't trust the truthfulness and reliability of the Bible, then basically you just kind of start making up your own religion, right? You just kind of do. You go, well, there's parts that I believe about it, but there's parts that I don't. And so you hear, you can tell. When, when you start hearing things like, well, you know, times change. And there was, there was a time when that was legit, but now in the 21st century, it's not really, we don't really do that anymore. Or, you know, back then that made sense. Or, or um, I don't really agree with what that verse says. You know, I think he was wrong on that. And when you hear people talking like that, then you know that you can hear that they can tell they are the final authority. They have made themselves the final authority. But here, well, here's the thing. When you come to Jesus, when you, are, when you become a Christian, what happens is one of the main key characteristics is the center of gravity shifts from you to God. So it stops being all about you. The universe stops revolving around you. You stop being the final authority for your life and you put that in the hands of God and you say, you know what? There's things I may not totally understand right away, but I'm gonna submit myself to it. Doesn't mean that you throw out logic or reason or anything like that. You know, you, you, we wanna have all these things, but we don't ultimately reject what we believe to be inspired by God because we don't understand it at the moment. We take time and we try to think, well, what could God be trying to teach us here? What does God want from me? So we, so yeah, we, we get our authority from, now the reason why I bring this up is because that's what's really, really important to us. It's the authority of scripture and then from that, the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. So all these other issues aren't that important to us. And so what happens is, what, what becomes very destructive and distracting in any kind of church is when these minor differences come up and they start taking the place of what is most important. And you guys have to understand, because wherever you go from here in your life, you know, and I hope you're at this church for a long time, but you always have to have an ability to see clearly about, about how you should evaluate the, um, the effectiveness of a church and the effectiveness of our church. This is one of the reasons, like, why we don't make a big deal about, about prophecy. Is there a place for prophecy? What's gonna happen in the future? Yeah, but we don't claim to know, you know, the specifics. But there's some people that are like, if you don't believe this about how Jesus comes back, you can't be in our club. You can't be in our tribe. And there's other people that when it comes to predestination and free will and that whole argument, if you don't believe this exact thing about predestination and about free will, you, I, we can't hang out together. 
They go, wait a second, well, time out. And there's all these other, and then it spills over into even non-theological issues, right? Like politics or other kind of social issues. Now there are some social issues that are very important, okay, that, that we, we believe the Bible is, it takes, it takes a serious stand on. But there's other things that don't really matter. And when, 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 you, when you start getting into these tribes and you start majoring on minors, you cause division that shouldn't be there. And so I, the reason I bring this up is because one of my great goals as your pastor over the years is to keep you from going crazy, okay? Just to keep you from becoming a nutty Christian because there's a lot of nutty Christians out there. Okay, so don't become a nutty Christian. And I'm trying to be, keep from becoming a nutty pastor. I don't want to become one of these guys that goes way out on the fringe on something that's not central. Because when we keep the gospel central, we are able to love people really, really well. And we are able to stand for truth really, really well. And the rest, we can just kind of agree to disagree. You know what I love? We have a rich diversity here. We really do. We have Democrats and Republicans. We have um, public schoolers and homeschoolers. We have vaccinators and non-vaccinators. I mean, can you imagine the, that, those two groups living in, in being in the same room together? It's crazy. Um, and I'm totally joking. But but it's true. We have we have a rich diversity. We have cultural diversity. We have racial diversity here. And so that's really important to us. You know why? Because we believe that God loves everybody and the, and the solution is the same for everybody. So we're not gonna major on these minor issues here at Compass Church, but that's what they were doing. And Paul is saying, don't let these kinds of people in your life. Don't go to their websites and read all of their crud and think just because they wrote it, it must be true. And don't become an advocate of some fringe person who takes you away from the centrality of God's word. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about here. And that's really what this entire passage is ta- telling us. And he's saying, you don't need them. Instead, what he does is he points out to several, several things he points out in this passage that are key to, to the Christian, that, that any Christian, no matter whether you became, became a Christian a week ago or last night, or you've been a Christian for 40 years, there are three things he points out in this passage that you possess that should prevent you from becoming a groupie of somebody who is going to lead you off into a path that is way off base so that you don't hit, you, you get away from what the bullseye issue is. So let's look at these things. There's three things. I just asked like this. What do you have in your tank? There's three things that he points out in this passage. The first thing you have is this. You have new life through the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now in this verse, he can either be talking collectively about the church or individually about each one of us as people. It's debatable, but it doesn't really matter because it applies to both. When you become a Christian, God says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and soul so that his spirit dwells and lives with us. And by the way, this is clear all the way back, even in the Old Testament. There's just really some really amazing passages of Scripture that you should be familiar with that kind of help thematically help us understand. One of them is Ezekiel chapter 36, 
verse 26 and 27, where, where God says, I will, give you, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And that's what needs, that, that passage, that picture is the transformation that every single person needs to go through. You know, it's funny because my kids and I, we've been talking about, because they've got some friends that are in different faith groups, you know? And it's funny because as they get, as they hang out with their, their friends over at their house and, and their parents will, will ask them questions about our faith and then, you know, they'll have little dialogues. And so far it's gone really, really well. There hasn't been like any crazy, you know, anger or anything like that. But it's been cool to have my kids engage with kids of other faiths. And the one thing I keep trying to remind them is, guys, you got to look for grace because you won't find it anywhere else. You got to look for grace because all of us are born with a heart of stone that says, you know what? You get what you deserve. You know what? You, you, if you want something, you gotta earn it. And, and in this world, it's true. But when it comes to our relationship with God, you see God says, no, I gotta take that heart of stone out and I replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart of life, a heart of mercy and grace. That's what this passage is about. And he puts his spirit in us and we become alive. In fact, that's what it says, in, and this is another great verse. Titus chapter three, verse five. He saved us not, and this is so key, guys. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Huge. So those of you who think you can work your way to heaven, look what it says. Not by, by works done in righteousness. You could, be the, you could do the best works in the world, and it won't matter. You're not saved by that. You're saved by what? God's mercy. And according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that key word there is regeneration, bringing back to life. And we've said this over and over and over again, but it bears repeating. We quote Ravi Zacharias all the time, that, that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Massive difference. It's not about you just becoming a better person who kind of color inside the lines and do everything right and, you know, have your nice little wife and 2.4 kids and drive your little SUV and, and pay, make your mortgage payment on time and everything's cookie cutter. No. No. If you read scripture, God takes the craziest of characters, but he takes them from death and gives them life. And it's his prerogative to do it, and it's beautiful. But that's what the Spirit, so the, the Holy Spirit of God, so here's what happens. When we, um, when we do this, you can't, here's the thing. When you're born, you're born spiritually dead, but physically alive. In order to make it into heaven, you have to physically die, but be, but be spiritually alive, right? So you're spiritually dead, physically alive. That's basically got to switch. Someday you will give up this body and get a new one, but you will give up this body, but your spirit must have been alive. And that's why Jesus says in, to, to Nicodemus in, in John chapter three, Jesus himself says, truly, truly, which means like, I ain't kidding. That's what that means. I say to you, unless one of you is born, um, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean baptism, by the way. That's like natural and spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. See, because Nicodemus was a guy who was trying to follow all the rules and do everything right, and Jesus is going, you don't get it. The Spirit of God is outside your control. Trying to control the Spirit of God is like trying to control the wind. You can't do it. 
The wind blows wherever it's going to blow. And you know it's blowing all over the place now. You know, it's blowing people's trees over and everything else. And Jesus relates the spirit of God to the winds outside of our ability to control. But it's the spirit of God that takes you from death to life. And you have to understand, Christian, you are alive. And it's this perpetual, ever eternal, um, always generating life. And you may not feel that way. You may feel still dead, but it's not true. God has made you alive and his spirit dwells with you because of grace. Now, how do I recognize the spirit of God, by the way? Because, you know, whenever I teach this kind of stuff, I always try to think, okay, like, you know, I always think of the person back there going, okay, but help me understand it more. Help me understand it more, right? So, okay, if I have the spirit of God, how do I recognize that he's there? How do I know that he's there, you know? Well, I had the opportunity to speak at my kid's school last night and while I, was, uh, I spoke briefly, um, I referenced the great Irish philosopher Bono. And he recently was asked in an interview, what was the number one thing he learned about God after reading the entire book of Psalms in the Old Testament? In his response, he listens. God listens. And then they asked him, what was the number one thing you learned about yourself from reading the entire book of Psalms. His response, I don't listen enough. I thought, man, that was profound. I don't listen enough. And if you want to hear the Spirit of God, you have to clear out the noise. You have to clear out the things that are distracting you. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm just gonna be, I would, this is not even in the notes. Can you believe it? But it's Saturday night, so there's no service after this, so I can go on until 8 o'clock. <laughs> You're like, no, you can't. <laughs> you could, but I won't be here. Um, uh, but here's the deal. The last few months for me, since January, have been just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Like, like out of balance. Like, way out of balance. And there's a lot of just, just situational stuff in life. Things that... And I have, I mean, I have hardly hung out with any of my friends. I, I mean, I barely had enough time, you know, with my kids. And it's just been a season where there's a lot of things that have come down. And, and I've recognized that God's spirit is still there. But I haven't really, I haven't been listening to him as much as I should. And... I gotta fix that. And, I, I, and, and it's funny, because I knew going in, I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a rough season. And, and I'm not saying that it's like I've never read my, I mean, I've, I've read my Bible, and I've tried, but, but I, I've been at a pace that it's been very hard for me to, to live like a spiritual person. To actually try to look through the eyes of God at everything around me. And you know what? You know who loses when that happens? I do. I do. And I gotta fix that. And I realize that. And so, so I'm, that's, that's, that's my own, you know, this is, here we go, you know, it's my own personal issue that I'm, that I'm working through. But I, 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 I've known that I've gotta figure that out. And part of it's just making some changes in life so that, that I can be able, because here's the thing. When you read the Psalms, this is, what's, this is what's amazing about it. And I think this is why Bono made a great point. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, 
cool hearing him talk about this. But when you read the Psalms, what do you read? There, what do you see? You see time spent saying, God, I'm waiting on you. You see time spent writing notes, songs, praises, meditations, thoughts, bandwidth, mind space to God. You know, my daughter today, we were joking because my daughter, I, th I think this was happening. My wife identified that she was watching a movie and then also on watching a video on her iPad at the same time. How do you do that? Um, I don't know how she does that, but we're like, you're watching two things at the same time. And, and you know, and it, it was hilarious actually to, to, to see her do that. But the, the challenge for us is, you know what? You go, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to God. Where's, where's God have a, where, where, how's he getting in? David carved out massive sections of his life. And yeah, he had some issues, you know, adultery, murder, you know, like a few things that kind of would mess up your resume. But he was called a man after God's own heart. Crazy. So, second thing is this that you have in your tank, that you have it, is supernatural wisdom through the Son. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. And this goes back to the earlier chapter. Remember we, we talked, and this is why it's so important. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's why it's important that you're here every week because we're kind of, we're, 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 we're helping you. So as you go through this book later on in your life, you go, I remember when we talked about this. We're learning to unlock what God has written to us. So a couple of chapters ago, we talked about how, how Paul talked about this whole issue of, of the God uses the foolish things of the world. Remember he's talking about them. He's like, God basically uses you. You guys are idiots. Um, to shame the wise people, this is, what he, this is what's going on, right? But this is kind of a re- he's like kind of um, uh, un uncovering this again. And Paul says that, that our wisdom is Christ crucified. That's it. Like our wisdom is based and founded and, and finds its, its core in the reality of a, the son of God who's been crucified. And so we have this world where everyone loves to drop the mic and shame everybody and, and feign outrage, you know? So they just like, they want to have that one line, like that zinger, like, yeah, drop the mic and I'm awesome. I just worked you. I just totally slammed you. And I'm so wise and I'm so smart and I'm so right and I'm so justified. And we live in this world that thinks that, that if you're mad, you must be right. So my emotion somehow adds to the credibility of what I'm saying. It's really bizarre, but no one really bothers to think this through. And so anyway, Paul is saying what the world thinks is wise is foolishness with God. We have a different kind of wisdom that begins and ends with Jesus. And what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean when I say begins and ends with Jesus? When you look at the reality and fact of Jesus, you make certain conclusions from that. And one of them is that we live in this very broken and fallen world that is incapable of saving itself. Thus, the very reason for Jesus. So part of wisdom is approaching life, not like, not like well, you know, there's a bunch of good people who just sometimes do bad things, which doesn't make sense. I was amazing. I saw this woman post on Facebook. She said, you know, it's so hard for me because... Um, um, I see all these things happen in the world and it's totally um, contradicting what I tell my kid that people are basically good. I don't know what to do about that. 
I'm like, well, maybe you're, maybe you're, that idea is wrong because you just said what you actually see in real life contradicts what you're trying to teach your kids. But anyway, I mentioned a minute ago that I spoke at my kid's school on Friday night. And it was actually what it was. It was a candlelight vigil for one of their teachers who tragically was murdered last week, last Sunday, by apparently, um, the, the, all of the uh, news reports say apparently by her husband. Tragic and awful thing. And so I spent time on the campus earlier this week talking with these kids. This is like seventh, eighth, ninth grade kids. And they're just like, they're just broken. And they're like, they're confused. Like, what's amazing to me is how many of them are like, this is, I've never, some of them said, I've never had anyone in my life die. So others of them said, I, I, I mean, I, I see this kind of stuff on the news, like murders and violence, it, but it's, I, I always thought it was somebody else's deal. I thought it happened in those neighborhoods in that part of the country, in that part of the city. I didn't think it happened here. And, and so I spent about two hours on Tuesday. Just, they called me and asked if they were like, you know, clergy, counselors, come. We don't know what to do. But the wisdom of the cross, one of the things I said on Friday night, I said, I said for the first time, a lot of you guys, this is what I shared last night with students, parents, faculty. I said, a lot of you guys, for the first time, you've been hit with the reality of a broken and a fallen world and that there is unspeakable evil that's committed and that you don't know what to do. And the reality is this fits right in with the narrative of Scripture. Scripture addresses this head on. Because when we look at the world and we see the brokenness, it should cause us to say, wait a second, maybe I wasn't made for this world. That's what I shared last night. There's something really wrong with this place. I don't know if I belong here. But how do I get where I'm supposed to go? I don't know how. And Jesus shows the way. And so the wisdom of the cross acknowledges this, that the world has a virus called sin. It's hopeless. In all of our technology and sophistication, we can't cure it. It must be cured from God. And so we turn our attention to him. And there's a God who will wipe away every tear. But we continue the fight here on this earth now. Understanding that. And that brings wisdom to you. When you see and you go, you know what? I, I, don't, have, I don't have heavenly expectations on a fallen earth. And if you just start there and realize that there's a Jesus who came to, to, to bring a kingdom that, that is where I'm, I'm supposed to be, and it starts inside the heart. So the revolution starts in here, and in there, and in there, and in there, and in there, and it flows out, and behavior starts to change, and, and the church starts to change, and communities start to change, and start to live as God intended them to live, then you see the glory of God happening. But all of that's Wisdom. But, it, but by the way, wisdom comes from obedience as well because there's wisdom in obedience to God. There's foolishness when you go, I think I can do it myself. I think I know how to handle sex on my own. I think I know how to handle um, alcohol on my own. I think I know how to handle you know, running a business on my own. I think I, I, can, I, do, I don't need God because I'm so sophisticated because I live in this modern world. So finally, the third thing that we have, and this is really cool, is victory through the Father. Assurance of victory through the Father. So it says, so let no one boast in men. Why? 
So why should you not boast of men? For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which by the way, that's another word for Peter. They like to change each other's names from time to time back then. Um, so Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. So if you look at this, all things are yours. What does that mean? It means you're a child of the Father and what belongs to the Father belongs to you because you are his child, right? Like my kids come in the house. You know, and it's funny because... Um, there's, you know, we've had, and we've had times of conflict. Um, I have had to remind them that certain things that belong to them really do belong to me, actually. Um, you know, they're not really, you really don't own anything, really. I mean, you own a few things, but like the walls that you sleep within, I actually own that. Um, so just so you know, I mean, I, you can have it, but it's ultimately mine. Um, so you remind them of that sometimes when they don't clean their room that belongs to you and whatever. But it's the, but the point is, is that, is that when you, but the kid comes in, the kid doesn't walk out, the kid knows this is mine because I, I'm a part of my, I'm, I'm a part of my father's family and, and this is what we, this, so it is mine in a sense. And of course. And so he lists all these things, Paul and Apollos in the world and life and death and the present and the future. All these things are yours. So you have more in the tank than you think. Why would you focus on one guy or one issue and put all your identity in that? There's so much out there. And so, so the, the thing is, um, the, if you look at life and death, what's the point of that? If you live, great. If you die, that's even better. Now that sounds crazy, but look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So even death, you go, well, death is this big, scary thing. And it is really big, scary. I, I'll admit, I mean, I don't, nobody wants to die unless you're nuts, right? You don't want to die. But here's the thing. Even death itself belongs to you. Because it's been conquered. So you do not have to fear it. You own it in a sense. Because upon your death, you will be ushered immediately into the presence of God to be in his glory and to have um, pleasures forevermore, as Psalms talks about, where you will be the, in the place that you were created to be in and it will be a place that you so amazing you would never want to come back here. That, and so listen, I'm telling you, we don't want to become dark people, but we do want to be able to become people who reckon with our own finality and death. Death. Not like most people who walk around pretending like they're never going to die and then one day it's like, what? I have cancer? This is crazy. Well, yeah, but okay, that's very sad and shocking, but how did you think it was going to happen? Were you just going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? Look around. The evidence is one out of one die. It's the ultimate statistic, right? So we have to contend with the reality that things could be very close to us, but even that is not something we still own. That, that belongs to us. That's, that is our final place that God has prepared for us. So it's not an occasion of fear. Look at Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And why do I say victory through the Father? Because all of this comes from the mind of the Father. And this is where I wanted to kind of help you see the, the, the Trinitarian aspect of this. That what, we, what we possess is, is the, full, the fullness of God. 
the fullness of God. So there's no reason to, to elevate other people. There's no reason to, to be a groupie for some cause or whatever else, to, be, to, have, to pursue the fullness of God with all that you are so that there's, there's the role of the Father, the role of the Son, the role of the Spirit. So the mind of the Father conceived, I want to show my love. I want to create people so that I can show my love to them. And through Jesus, I show the extent of my love so they can comprehend and understand the sacrifice of a suffering servant. That's amazing. There's been no one like him in all of human history. And so, you have more than you think you do. And why do I say this? Because, you know, some of you may be in a place in life right now where you're like, man, I'm just running on empty. I'm running on empty. You know, you're busy, you got graduations, you got Mother's Day, you haven't got your mom a card yet. That makes two of us. Um, you know, you, you got, you, you're, you're running around and, and maybe, maybe there's some deeper issues in life that are going on. You're super scared about the future. Maybe you had some relationship turmoil and you're like, God, I just feel like, you just feel in this place of scarcity, of scarcity, of scarcity. You got more than you think you do. And Christians should not be walking around like all feeble and afraid. And, oh, no. no, man. <laughs> You got the Spirit of God. The, the same, the, this is the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters in Genesis 1-1. The Spirit of God that put the tongues of fire on those guys at Pentecost, you know? The Spirit of God who does amazing, crazy, wild stuff lives and dwells within you. But I'm gonna watch TV for an hour. That's, 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 the, that's the challenge. I'm not saying that that's the bad, but I'm saying it's so easy just to go, yeah, 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 but the wisdom of Jesus, the ability to perceive things that other people can't because at the root of wisdom lies the crucified Christ. The root of everything that makes sense in the world. What we, what people flock to watch reenactments of over and over and over in different contexts. Epic films. What, what is the same theme over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? Somebody giving themselves for someone else who couldn't save themselves. And we, we value that. We treasure that. And in real life, we, we give medals of honor. And we award things. And we, 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 we are captivated by people who would rescue someone else at their own expense. Because deep down inside, I think we know that is the highest thing anyone could ever do. And maybe deep down inside, we know that's what we need. The wisdom is found there. And then assurance of victory. You got nothing to worry about, guys. You got nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Yes, there will be a period of time at the end of your life where it might get very dark, but it's only a small period of time. It's only, it's like, you know, the coldest part of the night is right before the sun rises, right? Right before, right before the sun rises. It can be all night, dark, 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 but, the, you know, and, but then right before the sun rises is when it gets the worst. And you, and I think God creates the world in a way we can see these kind of metaphors that are true. That someday you might, you'll have to contend with it, but it's not gonna be as bad as you think because you have more than you think you do. Let me pray for you. If you bow your heads real quick with me.
if you're not a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to come to new life. You are where I was and where so many people in here were. You're not the only one in here, but you are where I was and your need is as great as mine. Mine may have even been greater. But I want to give you an opportunity right where you are just to say, God, today I recognize I need you. I'm dead spiritually. I got nothing. And I need to be transformed. I need to have that tank full. I need to go from death to life. And I start with the wisdom of Jesus. I start with the reality that I need a Savior. And if he can forgive my sins, maybe nobody else will. I know what's in my heart, and I don't like it, and I want to get rid of it, and I want to start over. Tell him that right now. Just say, God, I surrender my heart and my life to you. And I want to become a Christian. And for the rest of us out there as well who have already made that commitment, that decision, do you know what you have? Do you know what you have? And have you opened yourself up to the leading of the Spirit of God? Or have you just been kind of a groupie to this cause, that cause, this thing, that thing? You realize what you possess, the eternal, infinite, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, merciful, perfect God, creator of the universe, come down and whisper in your ear and say, I'm right here and I love you and I'm not giving up on you and I will always be here. God, you are great and we have shifted the locus, the center of gravity from ourselves to you. And we recognize that we are extras in your movie. We realize that we've come in for one or two downs, and that's it. You're the one who wins the game, you're the one who gets the glory. And we are grateful that you would even involve us just a little bit in your unfolding plan to show the world your love and your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.